Thank you, Brother Bagwell. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. I don't know how you respond to, to all of that. We just feel like just a bag of dirt waiting on the anointing of God, I can tell you. Amen. Because without him, none of our lives would be anywhere. And uh, it's his mercy and his grace every day of our life. Amen. And we thank God for, for this opportunity. Thank God for those like Brother Bagwell who take on the challenge of, of uh, scheduling missionaries in each district. It's not an easy job. Pastors don't seem to want to answer the phone when that caller ID comes up. And uh, they, have a, they have a tough, tough job. But I sure, I sure appreciate it. And it's because of their efforts and then those of you who give faithfully that missions goes on. And uh, I can tell you that uh, it's teamwork. It takes unified effort. And uh, God is the one that has to keep track of it all. But when we get to heaven, we'll be shocked at those that will receive rewards for places that they never went. Amen. Because of their prayers and their giving and their backing, uh, those that might be on, on, on the ground, but uh, it's not because uh, they're there alone. Amen. It's a, it's a church body. Thank God for a united effort that we are involved in in reaching the world. The theme of this, this organization and this church body is still the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. Amen. And hearing your giving for Christmas for Christ this year, that's just overwhelming. Last year's Christmas for Christ. That is so wonderful. We believe in Christmas for Christ and uh, work with home missions uh, on different levels in different dif districts. And um, we... Uh, we believe in global missions, and it is global. It's all over. And this church, thank God the passion of it. Something happened in our general conference that was overwhelming last year, and that was the response to this I Am Global offering to help send missionaries back to shorten the time of deputation. And uh, I can tell you that it, it has been a great uh, benefit and a great response, and uh, we thank God for that. But let me let you in on a little secret, and I, I, I do this to praise those of you who support your missionaries faithfully and, uh, and continue to do, the, do that as long as they are on the field. And uh, some of you have done that for many years. Uh, wow, the Juno Church, though it's a small body, has, has faithfully supported us almost our entire time as missionaries. Amen. But... We are asked the question so often, why is deputation so long? And uh, what, what's the problem? And no one seems to address the real problem. And the real problem why missionaries have to deputize so long, and sure there's lots of logistics involved in it, but it's really a simple solution. Missionary raises his budget. Now, if he is coming home and and increasing his status from, career, from intermediate to career. There is a major jump of, of funds needed that they have to raise for work funds. But uh, as a career missionary for many years, this is our sixth deputation, and uh, we, we can tell you that there is an attrition rate of giving of partners who drop off over a four-year period Shockingly, it's 35% of a missionary's budget that he actually loses. Right now, that's the average. It used not to be that much. But the average now is 35% of his budget is lost by people who drop giving or drop their PIMs or decide to change after four years to another missionary or something else. And uh, that is what causes that missionary to have to travel so many months, sometimes two years and longer, uh, to re-raise his budget back up to that point. And so you who give faithfully, whether we can show up again in four years, but you continue that giving as a lifetime pledge, I can tell you that is what keeps us going. 
And actually, uh, and so, so that missionary, let me say this, deputation is, uh, I, in fact, after talking, uh, getting the st statistics from our, our, our office, uh, I was shocked that, that really um, almost all of a career missionary's deputational travel is to make up what he lost in attrition. And so we would not have to travel but could spend time visiting the churches that already have us. And, uh, and we, we appreciate those lifetime pledges. You make it possible. And the truth of the matter is that if a missionary did not have to come home because of budget problems after four years, he could stay on the field longer. And some do. And I have, I have one missionary friend stayed one time for nine years without coming home to travel. Amen. And so uh, you think about your pastor having to leave after four years and be gone for a year, possibly two years, and it might put into perspective what he finds when he gets back. He has to rebuild where he started. And uh, especially in a founding missionary, a missionary that goes into to establish a brand new work. And uh, so it's a, it's a very difficult thing. But we thank God for you who consistently give to missions, give to your missionaries, and not just give. Those dollars represent so much more than just dollars. We know that along with those dollars are prayers. There are people that are praying many times daily for us. As, uh, as they are giving, they are giving in their time and prayer and effort, and all of that goes together as a team effort to reach this world. Amen. And it, we, are, we are excelling and growing and continuing to grow, uh, not only on the home front, but overseas. And uh, we thank God for that, and soon, the Lord is going to say, it's enough, and he's going to call us home. We don't need to stop and fold our hands and wait. We just need to be doing his work until he comes. Amen. Praise God. Diane, would you come up? Amen. I want my wife to come and share with you because a missionary is, is not a missionary without a team. <laughs> And uh, I appreciate this, this lady. Praise the Lord. I just love being in Alaska. It feels good because the presence of the Lord is in this place. We come because we want to be here. We come to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. I thank him so much for his presence. You can feel it in this place. And especially, I just, I thank the Lord for the privilege of being here because most of our travels, we're the ones doing all the giving. And it's wonderful to be able to come and receive such wonderful teaching and preaching and fellowship with all of you, the love that we feel, the unity that we feel. I thank God that all of us have a privilege of working for him, don't you? Thank God for his love for us. I just want to tell you one little story. And that is, as we travel around, sometimes I step into places of worship where people worship other gods. I go into the Shinto shrines or the Buddhist temples or the Muslim mosques just so I can kind of have a feel of what they're doing and what they're feeling. The Catholic churches where I've watched them as tears roll down their cheeks, kissing a tomb of someone that's dead that can't hear. I watch them spin a prayer wheel. I watch them clap their hands to wake up their god. I watch them write a little a petition on a piece of paper and stick it in the crack of the wall to a God that can't hear. But we have a God that loves us. And I thank him that we found him. Hallelujah. Out of the thousands and thousands of gods that are worshipped on this earth, none of them have the power that our God has. We were in the country of Malaysia teaching in Bible school. And uh, one of the students came up afterwards and said, he said, Sister Showalter, I'd like to give you my pers personal testimony. He said, I was raised a Hindu. 
And I served many gods. He said, I became a Hindu priest, and I prayed to many gods. He said, what I didn't realize is that I was praying to demonic spirits. You see, when they pray to their gods, they pray because they have a need. All of us humans have needs that are bigger than we are. And they pray out of fear because they need protection. But they don't pray because they think they can feel a, a the love of their God. They don't feel that love. Demonic spirits don't love people. And he said, it left me desolate. It left me just totally dejected. He said, I wanted to take my life. And he said, I walked out into the ocean. He said, I felt no love from anyone, not my parents, not anyone. I just, I was totally depressed. And he just said, I decided to take my life. Well, that's exactly what his gods wanted. As he walked out into the ocean that night, he, he said, I heard a voice that said, Ishwara, stop. And he said, I stopped, and I called the name of about four gods that I'd been worshiping, and I said, which god is this? He said, I heard nothing. And then again, I said, which god is this? He said, I heard a voice that said, I am your god. I am Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 And Ishwara said, I, I began to weep thinking that there was a God somewhere that loved me. There was a God that cared for me so, so much that he didn't want me to take my life. And he said, I, I turned around and I went to the shore and I fell on my face and I cried. And I said, Jesus, I want to know you. Help me to find you. I'm sorry. I want to live for you because I know you love me. And he found a church the next day. He went in, and there was a preacher in there, and he said, could you tell me about this God, Jesus? Could you tell me about the Bible? Could you teach me? And he said that that began his journey looking for the one true living God, the lover of his soul, and he found him. He doesn't hide from people who are hungry and looking for him. And he doesn't leave us desperate and lonely and dejected. He is everything to us. Ishwara was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was baptized in the name of Jesus. He went to Bible school. He is preparing himself to go into the ministry to tell other people that were just like him. And I thank God for, for you who sent us to be able to teach people like that. I thank God that there are people like that that we can pray for when we pray in tongues. And I just want to encourage each of you to pray in tongues when you pray. Just push on a little bit more. And so you pray in tongues because that's the Spirit praying through you for things that you don't know. But he flows through his body. We're a body. We're not an island, and we need each other. When he flows through us, we have no idea where all those prayers go. But we know that God knows. And he reaches to people like Ishwara that don't have parents and brothers and sisters to pray for him. And he lifts them up, and there are so many like that all around the world. When you pray, you don't have to be able to go. You don't have to be able to stand behind a pulpit, but you can pray. And you affect your world. When you give, you make it possible for other people to go where you can't go. And I thank you so much because we all have a God that loves us, and everyone deserves to know that God. God bless you. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad you have a God that cares? Amen, that loves you. God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. And uh, what a joy it is to, to be a part of this church. It's a joy to be at this camp and to uh, be able to participate and uh, just be able, as my wife said, just to, to receive marvelous marvelous preaching wow did we ever hear from the lord today thank you brother judd amen longtime friend praise god family as i i mentioned yesterday that that sister judd was the one that introduced my wife and i we're forever indebted <laughs> amen and uh we just we just love uh, the fellowship that, that we're experiencing. Thank you, Brother Parrish, for allowing us to be here in this camp and participate. And all of you, every one of you, I won't go down through the list, but 
uh, longtime friends and uh, wonderful fellowship. We just, we just thank God for this district. We requested to be here, amen, and put it right on our deputational schedule. We do every deputation. We request Alaska. And I, I specifically mentioned camp. We, they asked us what meetings we want to attend, a camp meeting and, and another special conference that we want to attend during our deputation. I put Alaska camp. <laughs> Amen. And I'm glad that we got to be here. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Of course, the Blackshears and, and the Carnleys, what great, uh, well, they're pioneers. Amen. They are. We just, we, we, we have such fond memories all the way back to those early days of Sunday school, Sister Blackshear. Amen. And Brother Carnley, breaking the truce with my wife late one night. They made a truce. My wife, she likes to, you know, get in these word fights when Brother Carnley loved those. And, and boy, they went back and forth for days. And finally, they made a truce. And they said, we'll not do this all day long. We're not going to. And when the clock struck 12, Brother Carnley looked over her, at her and said, you old battle axe. <laughs> oh, my. It might have been 50 below zero outside, but I'll tell you what, the heat was on inside. <laughs> oh, we just, we love you, Alaska. And want to encourage you. What wonderful reports of the growth in this district that you are experiencing right now. Amen. Praise God. And if every district grew in that percentage, wow, where would we be? But uh, thank God for and your passion to bring in Brother Sistrunk to, to help you in, in uh, church growth and church planning. That's the key. And I would encourage you. The, the key, the foundational key of that is training. And uh, the key to training overseas is, is Bible schools, whether it's night classes and extensions uh, throughout uh, churches or sections. It makes a difference when workers are trained because then you have someone that has been qualified to go and they feel that anointing and will respond. Amen. And so uh, when we go into a work overseas and... They're not growing. They've asked us to come and help them. The first question I asked them, what is your Bible school and your training program? And, uh, and when they have none, and I say, well, there's the problem. There's the problem. Because Jesus, you know, says go and make disciples of all nations. That word teach in Matthew 28, 19, the first word, there's two words teach in verse 20, 19, and also in verse 20, but they're different words in the Greek. And the first word is, actually doesn't mean to indoctrinate, it means to make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name, amen. And you know what the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost is. And then to teach them... Uh, to observe all things. And the word in that verse 20 means to indoctrinate. Put a foundation, doctrinal foundation in them. Amen. And so uh, that's what we've got to do. And the equipping is so important. Actually, the, the, uh, we, we misunderstand something sometimes because of the weakness of, of English to express what is in the original language. And uh, uh, it's because we, we just don't have sometimes the, the compatible words to, to uh, work with that. Working in Spanish. Hablamos español. ¿Cuántos hablan español? Dios le bendiga. Ah, gloria a Dios. Amen. Well, uh, when, you, when you read in in. Spanish, you find out the Spanish is, is really, it's a related language to Greek. The grammar is the same, and they have a corresponding vocabulary. And, and so the Spanish translation, which was predates King James translation, uh, it, it is a very, very good translation. But the, 
Ephesians 4 and 12, and this is, a, this is a real key. Verse 11, we all know it's the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Amen. And uh, thank God you have an, a, a, a resident evangelist in this, in this district, a man who feels called to be an evangelist. That's right here, Brother Seagraves. And that's tucked in right in the middle of those fivefold ministries. I mention that because we are missionary evangelists. And uh, we spent nine years in full-time evangelism in the U.S. Uh, before pastoring in the U.S. and then going overseas as a missionary. But uh, the, what Ephesians 12 tells us, the King James gives us a, a, a weak and a, really a wrong viewpoint. It says that the purpose of that fivefold ministry is for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, and for the building up of the body of Christ. And so I've actually heard it taught that this is the threefold purpose of the fivefold ministry. But that's not what that verse says. That verse says, in, 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 the, in its original Greek, what Paul was saying is that we are to, the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints to work their ministry so the body can be built up. It's not to set you on a pew and leave you there till you're perfect. No, it's to equip you so you'll get busy and work. Amen. Amen. And be involved in making disciples. Don't leave discipleship up to your pastor. Because, you know, that's like, that's as if a couple would go to the hospital. They deliver that baby after nine months. And, and uh, you know, after the, the, the convalescent time in, in the hospital for usually around three days. But then they give that baby into the arms of that mother and send them home. And sometimes the doctor is there to talk to them and greet them. And what would it be like if that couple would say, Oh, doctor, we're giving this baby into your hands to raise, and in, in a year's time or nine months, we'll be back with another one. Now, how foolish is that? Because he's delivering numerous babies every day. But that's what we do in church. We bring a convert or somebody and we, we, we help pray them through and, and they're, they're, they're born again and then we say, Pastor, here you take care of this one and I'm going back for some more. But that's not the natural way God did it. Amen. You are part of the process of the discipling. Amen. Being there to answer their questions, teaching them a Bible study. And uh, helping them one-on-one to, to know this truth and to have the Word of God in their heart. And if we all would be doing that, what would happen to our growth? Just think what would happen in this camp if each one of you next year came back with a new convert and a disciple that you're making right at your side. I dare say your church wouldn't be big enough and the camp wouldn't be big enough. Wouldn't that be a nice problem? Praise God. Amen. And so we all are involved in the call of making disciples. Going and, and the word preaching in the scripture does not mean to stand behind a pulpit like we're doing today. The word preaching means to announce or tell somebody. It's sharing the word of God, the gospel in particular of Jesus Christ with someone. Explaining to them what is the death, burial, and resurrection. Praise God. Amen. And so what a joy and a privilege it is to be part of a church that that is the intention of this church that all of us are involved. This is not a spectator sport. It's not an inner Christian entertainment industry. Amen. This is a church. Amen. It's the, it's the place where babies, spiritual babies are born and disciples are made. And we are all involved in the process. Thank God. This is not a priesthood up here. We are all called to be priests. 
We are all anointed, amen, by the Holy Ghost. Praise God. We don't... We don't lock the Holy Ghost in a little sanctuary in the, in the pulpit some, and you go home to live the way you want to after you've punched in your spiritual time card. No, we are all involved in this. This is a 24-7 walk. Jesus goes home with you. He goes to the job with you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God for what we are experiencing. I appreciate the testimony that uh, Brother Judd gave about, about the Baptists opening their doctrinal stance. I, I've said for years, Brother Judd, that they don't realize how close they are to us because of the love for the Word. They look at what the charismatic world has done and they say, we don't want to have anything to do with that. And we say the same thing. But when they find out what a doctrinal base that we have right here and open their understanding, it didn't cease. Amen. It never did cease. You can find it all through history, very active as the very mainstream of Christianity. Amen. We don't come out of the Reformation I mentioned yesterday. We come out of Jerusalem. We need to let people know there's still a Jerusalem church. Thank God. There's still a Jerusalem church. Thank God for this truth. Amen. When you give to missions, you're just, you're just involved even more in another way. As we are. Let me tell you, missionaries believe in missions. In fact, the number one giving body to foreign missions or global missions are the missionaries. That's right. The missionaries literally, as a, as a, as a family, give more than any other body to missions. And we give to home missions because we all believe in home missions. We don't really, God doesn't see a barrier. Amen. And that's really what I want to talk to you about. We're going to go to a verse of Scripture in, in Matthew chapter 24, and uh, we'll stand together. But I, I just want to say again as we're standing, thank you, Alaska. Thank you, brother and sister Blackshear, being such great Christians, great examples, and people dedicated to the cause. Thank you for, for years ago just befriending my family and... My dad received the Holy Ghost in Alaska. Amen. Oh, my mother just passed away last month, 92. But she went out talking in tongues, I can tell you. And when you get down to pray for her, she decided it was time to go. She woke up one morning, she said, Well, I don't think I'll wake up tomorrow. She says, I'm happy, but I just, I want to go see Jesus. They were shocked. And that afternoon, her heart went into spasms, and they didn't know what to do for her. They tried, finally got her calmed down. Well, she did wake up the next morning, but that day, it was so bad, they didn't think she'd make it, and they called me. I was in Seattle on deputation in, on a Sunday. Reached me in church. And... Uh, they didn't think that I would make it there, but we did. And because they told her that I was coming, she said, oh, oh okay, I'll wait. <laughs> I'm telling you. And she did. And when we got there, and then my kids showed up, and then my grandkids, all my grandkids showed up. Man, she was having a heyday, and it took her about five days to wind down. <laughs> That's the truth. We had such, but you couldn't, pray. you'd get down to pray for her. She told my daughter, she said, don't cry for me. She said, I'm happy. I'm going to see Jesus. Amen. And you get, I was down praying for her. She'd lay hands on me and start praying and talking in tongues. I'm telling you. She was my greatest prayer partner, I can tell you that. Whew. Oh, I thank God for the heritage. 
thank God for a heritage. When you look around and look at these wonderful people, amen. Brother Parrish, whatever brought you to Alaska, amen, is stuck in your heart from that first call. Thank God, Brother Bradbury. And how about Roger Yaden? Woo! Over there in probably the coldest place on earth. But <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, my. You have got a heritage, Alaska. You've got a heritage. Praise God. It's your heart. Don't take it lightly. Love it. Love it and thank God for it. Matthew 24, verse 3. Jesus had just talked to them about the temple being destroyed, prophesying to them that not one stone would be left upon another. And when they moved from that place to the Mount of Olives, they asked him these three questions. Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he answered them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Praise God. As district superintendent, Brother Parrish, would you lead us? Dear Lord, we thank you for the anointing of your spirit that we feel right now in this place, God. We know, Lord, that you brought our messenger to us today to teach us and touch us, God, in our hearts, to give us a word from you. We know and understand that we can do nothing without you, but, Lord, through you. Through you, all things are possible, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you touch this vessel right now, God, and anoint him with your spirit and speak to us with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Now, Jesus gave some signs first. And in fact, when he says, no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name and, I, and say I am Christ and shall deceive many. He actually brings that into this message twice in his discourse. Telling us of conditions that would exist on the earth before his coming and at his coming. And he warns his followers, including us. There, there's, there's two real key words in this discourse that you've got to pay attention to, to understand it. And many get confused just by ignoring these two words. And that's the word you and them. You and them. When he speaks to you, he's talking not just to his disciples, but to his church. And those things that we'll see and be involved in. There's two comings of the Lord mentioned. One as lightning from the east to the west. And that is to you. That's to us. A few verses later, he gives another coming when all of them will behold him. It's to them. Amen. Not to us. Praise God. That's at Armageddon. Praise. And some people are confused over that matter. I don't think we need to be confused in this hour. The church was very bold in that day. Every, every New Testament writer was very bold about the imminent return of the Lord. Paul expected it in his lifetime. Peter expected it in his lifetime. They all talked about the soon coming of the Lord. Amen. And I believe we still need to preach that. And that we are very close in this hour. Much closer than they were. But the imminent return. And then Jesus gives us some signs. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. And in verse 6 he says, but the end is not yet. And so this, these wars, the last century, the 20th century, there were more battles fought in that one century than all of history preceding it. There were more victims of war. were 240 million more victims of war in that century than all of history preceding it added together. And so it very well fits what Jesus was saying. He said, but the end is not yet. 
you've got to remember that this is, this is a great sign to the church to know that we, are, we have moved into the end time. Amen. And then he talks about, of course, the, 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 uh, not only the nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, but there be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. And uh, then he said, this is just the beginning of sorrows. And we are in that right now. There's still about 25 million that die of starvation every year in our world. About every three and a half seconds, someone dies of starvation. Crazy. In our world with an abundance of food. And so, so it is that we, we are seeing these things and, and the pestilence and the, the earthquakes. That earthquake is not just, you know, seismic activity, but the word also can mean political commotions. And, and that word has been used over 700 times in the last few years by the news media to call it a political earthquake certain happenings and so so there's just so much in this passage that tell us the hour in which we live but I want to point to you at a sure sign that Jesus gives us and talk to you a little bit about it today and that is this verse 14 he says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness among every nation, and then the end will come. And I want to point out to you that little word nations. Now we are making strides in the last few years into nations around the world. There are very few places left that are unevangelized by the United Pentecostal Church. But the last few places that our missionaries have been sent in to open works in, they have found works there preaching this apostolic message already in place. And in, and in numerous cases, they had no idea, those works had no idea there was anyone else in the world preaching this message. And they were happy to find a worldwide organization that was preaching this apostolic doctrine. Praise God. But this word nations, when we, when we think of nations, I don't know about you, but I automatically get a picture of the globe in my brain. And, and on that globe, every little country and its political boundaries are, are, are outlined with black lines. And each country is a different color so you can easily pick them out. Sometimes the North, North American map is that way. Every state is a different color. But that's not how God looks at this. When he said nations, the word in the Greek there is not talking about political boundaries. The word in the Greek is the word, you check it out, it's the word ethnos. That's the Greek word for nations here. The word ethnos is, uh, is the root word of our word in English, ethnic. Say it, ethnic. In other words, when Jesus said this gospel will be preached in all the world, among, as a witness among every ethnos. He's not talking about reaching, stepping into a political boundary and just setting up a church. No, he's talking about every culture, every language group, every skin color, every family, amen, hearing this gospel. Praise God. Now when I... We, we, we first started our missionary efforts in Haiti and under AIM, teaching in the Bible school there, then went to El Salvador to help raise up a mission church planting program in that country and spent our first term there. And during our last six months, I was given the, 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 the work of Guatemala as president of that work 
and uh, began to commute to there. But when I took the work in Guatemala, now Haiti was Creole, a French-based Creole. And when we got to El Salvador, everyone spoke Spanish. There was one community that was, was still indigenous, but just some, a few of the old people spoke their dialect. But they all spoke Spanish. So that wasn't a problem. But when I got to Guatemala, 65% of the population of Guatemala are indigenous. They're tribes. They have, Wycliffe Bible translators said, there were 40 language groups in that one nation that needed the Bible translated into their language so that they could understand the gospel. I thought, how in the world are we going to reach these folks? We had churches among eight of those, some of the primary. But there was one, the largest language group in that country. We had, we had a church in the vicinity, but the pastor only spoke Spanish. And we'd never had a pastor that spoke the language of mom. Mom, just like mom. And so... I've I, I, seen the challenge. I asked the entire leadership across the, the, the church-wide, across the nation, to pray with me, join with me from 5.30 in the morning to 6.30 in the morning every day to pray the prayer that Jesus requested us to pray. Lord, send labors. Send labors. And so I, I, I knew some of them would be on buses and and going to work, but whatever you were doing, just, just think and pray that prayer. Send labors, Lord. In fact, the word there for prayer and the word he tells us, he, he literally tells us to beg heaven, beseech heaven. Send labors. Amen. And so we did. During that first year, we didn't know it. But there was a little guy in the States, he had his green card. He'd been in the States nine years working, I think it's the state of Georgia, in a nursery. And he was from a little village way on the top of the Cuchumatanes, which are the highest mountain chain in Central America. And uh, I'd driven past that village numerous times, but never hardly aware of it. And he was a lay preacher in the Presbyterian church. And he had, he had gone to the U.S. Now, the Presbyterian Church had so few pastors that they had circuit preachers. And they would show up every, about every three months. And, uh, and so he was, he was one of the lay preachers that they would take care of those churches and preach because they were local men. And uh, he had been gone for nine years. And during his nine years, somebody had witnessed to that man about this apostolic doctrine. He'd received the Holy Ghost, been filled with, uh, been baptized in Jesus' name, and, and was just enjoying his life, his income, sending what he could back to his village, and, and, uh, and just enjoying himself. But while we were praying, God has a way. God began to dig on his heart and say, you know, you got a whole village and a family back there that needs to hear this message. And so he gave up his job, packed his bags, and went back to the Cuchumatanes, about 11,000 feet in elevation. And there he, when he walked into that village, they were so overjoyed to see him, they put him in the pulpit that very next Sunday. And you know what he preached. He had been in the country about 30 days. And, uh, and he showed up at a, at, a, at a rally in a neighboring church. It was about 30 minutes drive down the mountain into the valley. San Juan Iscoy. But they spoke Conjobal. A total different language group. But he, had, he knew that there was a church there and he brought 30 people to be baptized. Amen. At the end of three months, there were over 100 baptized. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. That church turned into a Pentecostal worship center. And I mean, they would dance. 
they would shout, praise God. And when the Presbyterian pastor showed up, ooh, he wasn't happy. You can't act like this in here. This is not a Pentecostal church. He threw them all out and padlocked the door, shut the church down. Well, you know, that's what's great about this Holy Ghost. You don't even have to have a building to have church because church is not the building. You are the church. Thank God for building, but comes real handy about January. <laughs> but where did they go? They went to the market and started having church. And by the time the missionary got there, there was 400 of them. The whole village. Man, I did baby dedications. I did baptisms. I did weddings. Even prayed the bride and bridegroom through the Holy Ghost. <laughs> One of the bridesmaids. Amen. And, and we had crusade, praise God. I'm telling you. In one year's time, from that one work, there were six works established, preaching points out of that one area. It all in the language group of that one language. Praise God. Oh, I'm here to tell you, we've got to reach the ethnos. But something is happening in our world today. Thank God for sending missionaries. But today, we, there's places we can't go. There's, there's places we just can't get to. There's some countries that don't allow North American missionaries. That's why our daughter works overseas are now sending missionaries into places where very difficult for a North American to go. And, and then, not only that, but God's bringing them to you. Now, of all the places that I thought I wouldn't see quite an international, especially Hispanics, I thought it was too cold. But I'm here to tell you, I'm seeing all kinds of ethnos in Alaska. God has brought the mission field to us. He's jumbled up this whole world. You don't have to go overseas to be a foreign missionary. It's all around us, praise God. It's in every university campus. It's in every, every workforce. They're all around us. And we, we don't need to tug our little robes of Americanism around us and, and, and look down our nose. We need to recognize as the church that is our mission. Praise God. Jesus said that this gospel will be preached to every ethnos. It may not happen in their country of origin. Amen. My nephew, when he was 10 years old, in a little town in South Dakota, they had an agricultural college in that little town. Here on South Dakota. He was 10 years old out riding his bike and he just happened to practically run over one of those Chinese students that Red China had sent to study agriculture in that little town. Well, he apologized and you know all of that. and So to, you know, apologize, he took him home for dinner. He became the family friend. And in one year's time... 37 of those red Chinese students had been baptized. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Many of them are involved in the underground church in China today. Amen. It wasn't an organized evangelism. <laughs> Woo, it was a God-ordained accident. I'm here to tell you folks, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, and we've got the opportunity right here to help propel this thing and finish the task. The more I study the coming of the Lord, the more I'm convinced that instead of we're waiting on God, I think He's waiting on us. 
when we get the job done, praise God. Oh, Brother Blackshear, that was my dad. He wouldn't quit till the job was done. We'd want to go home and eat dinner. He said, no, boys, we just got a little bit more. Keep going. We'll get done, and then you can, we'll go home. Amen. I think that's what the Lord's saying. Come on, boys, we got a little bit more to do. Get the job done, and we'll go home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to take you by video just for the next five minutes for a few places around the world to let you see that the church in the end time is alive and well. Amen. Even in under difficult governments, one of the greatest revivals in our movement today is in Pakistan. The church is alive and well. Persecuted? Oh, yeah. They tell you horror stories. Make you have bad dreams at night. But I can tell you that church is not slowing down. They're not hiding somewhere. They're in the streets when they get the opportunity. They're filling stadiums when they get the opportunity. Praise God. It's time to evangelize our world like never before. Praise God. Let's go. Jesus said the final sign of the wood of the end would be that all ethnos, every nation, then the end would come. In 1946, from the small beginning of the merger, that this organization was begun with the theme of the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And it was just 47 missionaries working in nine countries that's, that joined the organization at that time. But now we have 313 missionaries, 366 associated missions, 50 regional missionaries. And we're all working together in 206 nations outside of North America. And right now, 81% of the United Pentecostal Church is on foreign soil. Praise God. Hey, it's working. Your investment is paying off. Thank God. Well, we want to just let you visit a few places. How about Venezuela? An oppressive government, but I can tell you the church is not afraid. They're going into public venues. This is in the eastern part of the country in an open air uh, crusade meeting. Look at this little guy. No arms and no legs but he is worshiping with all of his might. Papua New Guinea, still a primitive country, but a few decades ago, these folks were headhunters. But look what's happened. By the sacrifice of, of a great family. Amen. And, uh, well... This was their national conference in a new area. They were establishing churches through this conference. Amen. And you couldn't get done preaching, and they'd rush to the altar. Amen. And fill the altar. Praise God. And 179 received the Holy Ghost. And at the close of the altar service, they made an appeal for those that would be baptized. And... Uh, we loaded them on trucks and took them down to the bay. It was getting close to midnight by then, but friend, at a midnight baptism, 232 were baptized in Jesus' name in a mass baptism. Praise God. Oh, thank God. This is just the central church. Madagascar is our largest work in the, in the African region. Three generations of the same missionary family. This is just the altar service on a Sunday morning after we preach in the central church in Madagascar. Praise God. We were teaching university students on campus ministry how to reach those ethnos, amen, on their universities. We are overseeing the campus ministry under missions department. Spain. Even rest of Europe says it shouldn't happen in Spain, but it does. This is just their 13th anniversary of the church in Madrid, the local church in Madrid. Missionary Gary Soans and over 100 received the Holy Ghost in their anniversary services. 
Bolivia, again under an oppressive government. But I can tell you the church is alive and well. Cochabamba is one of the smaller cities in this nation. This was a collective meeting of the churches, and what an exciting time. 28 received the Holy Ghost. Oh, friend, they have got their eyes on heaven. And then, of course, the Philippines. And this is just one of the local churches in Quezon City, close to the Bible school on a Sunday night, altar service after we preach. But this work is our largest overseas work. It is rivaling the size of the mother church, North America. Amen. And, and they plan on passing us up. we got to keep busy. <laughs> Amen. But uh, what, a, what a dynamic work. And children's ministry. Now, my wife has been very involved in children's ministry, helping start, she helped start Sunday school departments in the countries we labored in and, and continues to do that in many countries we go to. And uh, these children are singing, Make Me a Servant. And God is using children. Amen. They are a vital evangelism force, and we never need to overlook that's Sunday school and its importance. In fact, I want to take you right now to a prayer meeting in a little church in Chile. And uh, this five-year-old girl was praying louder than everyone in, else in tongues. And she was praying in English, speaking in tongues in English. Come Messiah, she said. We're going to watch it again. Amen. She's saying, come Messiah. Come Messiah. She just said Messiah in three languages. Folks, Paul said the Holy Ghost prays through us according to the will of God when we don't know how to pray. And if even through the children, the Spirit of God is praying, come Messiah, come back Messiah. I love you Messiah, come back. How close are we to the end? Your Bible ends with that very call. First it's a call in verse 17. The bride says come. The spirit says come. It's an evangelism call. To those that are thirsty, that call is going forth. But then it ends with Jesus saying, surely I come quickly. And John responds, even so come Lord Jesus. <laughs> Folks, we are right there. We are right there. It's not time to sit back. It's time to thrust in the sickle like never before. Being involved in every aspect there is. Giving, praying, going, preaching, teaching Bible studies. This world is desperate for direction. And I believe we have the right direction. It's the eternal destiny awaiting us very soon. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, let's stand together. Jesus, you see every heart in life. Lord, you're tugging at the heart of your church in this hour. You are tugging, oh God. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord. And our cry is, God, sin labors. We know the hour is late. We know the time is upon us. Lord, we know that your coming is soon. But oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Jesus.
God, we're begging you in this final hour of the church, send labors. God, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus.